Good morning, Grace Fellowship. How's everybody doing this morning? That sounds pretty good. You know, the house is kind of packed today. You look around. There's a lot of people here. I'm deeply honored to be with you this morning as we begin not a new series, but a new season of grace. One of the things we try and avoid sometimes is language that doesn't accurately describe what God is doing. You know, a series. What's a series? What's well, something often that man will create and kind of plan? But we don't really believe this is a series. We believe this is a wave of vision that is coming from God. As elders, we've spent time listening to him and we only seek his will. And we do that imperfectly, but we are called to be humble men who hear God together. And God has spoke to us and told us that this is the direction that we are to go. Every surfer knows this. They don't create waves. How many people have ever surfed or boogie boarded? How many of you ever made a wave? And I'm not talking about like, you know, anyway. But <laughs> um, you don't make waves in the ocean. We know who makes the waves. God does. We just catch the waves, right? Well, it's the same thing with waves of vision. We listen. God creates a wave of vision, and our job is just to see it, to catch it, and to ride it. So would you be kind enough to join me in prayer, because I have to proclaim to you that we are on for quite a ride for the next six weeks. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you, Lord, that we can raise a hallelujah to you because of who you are, and because of who we are in you and for what you are doing in our lives. Lord Jesus, you came to set the captives free. And if you set someone free, we are free indeed. So today we pray in the precious name of Jesus that shackles would be broken, that chains would fall. And Lord God, that we would enter into a whole new season of freedom for your glory and for your glory alone. For God, you have taught us to stand at the crossroads and look, to ask for the ancient path to ask where the good way is and to walk in it and we will find rest for our souls. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who brings rest and life and light and peace. We pray this all in your precious name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So if you have your booklet, you can take that out. It's going to be a little bit of a roadmap for the next six weeks. If you don't have one of these, you can raise your hand if you'd like one. And the ushers will be uh, sure enough to get you one. Anybody need a booklet that doesn't have one? My wife needs one up here in the front row. Now that's a travesty. <laughs> My wife doesn't have a booklet. Thank you, Tom, so much. I appreciate that. Thank you for caring for my bride. You okay now, babe? You all right? Good, thank you. So if you look um, at page three, I just want to give you a quick overview. Um, we're going to start today by defining what a stronghold is from Scripture. We're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 10, Paul and the church. We're also going to take a peek at Jeremiah 6.16, which is a roadmap for our entire time together over the next six weeks. In week two, we'll be talking about Elijah and Jezebel from 1 Kings 19. Uh, the following week, we'll talk about David and Nathan from 2 Samuel 12, and we'll look at Psalm 139. Week four, we'll talk about Jesus and the disciples and the keys to the kingdom and the power of binding and loosing. In week five, we'll talk about the secret of radical obedience, and we'll look at Moses and God. And then in week six, we're going to have a celebration, because here's what we're believing God for. God is going to change your life. Can I tell you something? Since I've started studying for this, and Trace and I took a couple weeks where we were able to breathe, about a week of those two weeks, I just dedicated myself to study. 
and I went deep into the Lord, and I sought the presence of God for us together. The elders kind of will hear from the Lord together, and they'll hear things that I'm saying. They'll go, okay, now go. We're, we're commissioning you to go and to come back and hear from the Lord. And so my life has been changing in the last two weeks. I'm learning things that I already knew, but I'm learning them all over again. And I think C.S. Lewis said that he doesn't really think that the believer needs to learn much new. He just needs to learn the same things over and over and over again. Anybody say amen to that? So while the language changes and the stories changes, there's only one gospel. And it's a very simple message. Jesus Christ died for you and me. And if we let his love in, it will change everything about our lives. He will transform us into his likeness so that we are now light and salt in a dark world. And the world is dark. Anybody say amen to that? Now, I want to say up front, I'm going to be talking about abortion some today. I want to talk to you if you're here today and you've had an abortion or you participated in an abortion some way. And I want to say one thing to you. The grace of God is sufficient for you and you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we stand ground level at the foot of the cross with you acknowledging that our sin is no greater than yours. And God has forgiven all of us by his grace and for his glory. So we do not stand in condemnation in any way against you or what you've participated in. But we're here to speak the truth. And I'm really, really grateful that God has given us his word as a roadmap for truth. So if you would be kind enough to turn over, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 10. And we're going to learn a few things about strongholds. And then we're going to dig into some points um, from the scripture. So here, let's read from the very beginning. Um, verse 10, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Now, I don't know how you study scripture, but a lot of times when I read just that much, God says, stop. I'm like, stop. He's like, yeah, stop. He said, look at what was written. By the humility is, <laughs> okay, let's pray that I can speak today. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Paul is saying, I am modeling my behavior. I'm following the heart of our master who is a humble servant king. And I am going to be humble and gentle with you in Christ because he is humble, because he is gentle, because he is kind, because he is the one who defines love. I am going to plead with you in his kindness and in his gentleness. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you, went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Stop. How many of you are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, you are a citizen of a new kingdom. You are no longer a citizen of a democracy. You are no longer a citizen of a republic. So many of us as Christians go around saying, well, I'm a citizen of a democracy. I'm a citizen of a republic. That's not true. You now have new citizenship. You are a citizen of a theocracy, which means you have one king, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is God and man. And you submit to him and to him alone. That is the way that we are to live our lives. Do you want to know the governance system that is closest to the kingdom of God? It's not communism. Oh, my Lord, people say that. I hear people say that. Communism is so close to the kingdom of God. No, it's not. Oh, democracy, that's close to the kingdom of God. No, it's not. You know what it is? Monarchy. Monarchy, a king 
Now, every earthly king is faulty, and every earthly king is sinful, but not our king. Our king is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are his servants, and he is our God. And that's the way we are to live. And Paul says, some of you are living according to the world's standards. You're not living according to who you are. Jesus Christ died for you. He made you his child by adoption. You are his son. You are his daughter. Now live like it. You see, the world has different standards than the kingdom of God has. And the kingdom of God gives us his standards, the king does, through his word and through his spirit, through his people. And we are to submit ourselves to his standards, not the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Stop. Now, first of all, we're going to learn what a stronghold here is in just a minute. But can I tell you that the scripture does not say that God gave you divine power to manage your strongholds. He did not give you divine power to kind of put a dent in your strongholds. He didn't give you divine power just to kind of mess them up a little bit. He gave you divine power to demolish. Say that word loud. Demolish. Demolish your strongholds. That word means to obliterate them to leave them in a million billion little pieces. Now that's the kind of power that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And yet so many of us were like that person that was in a prison cell, locked and chained in the cell. And God comes along and he breaks the shackles and the chains and he swings wide open the door. And you know what we do? We sit in the prison cell and we sing hymns. And we go, thank you, Lord God, for swinging wide open the door and breaking my shackles. And we're sitting in the cell, and God comes along and he says, Dude, what are you doing in there? And we say, Well, God, I'm just so grateful you broke my chains, and I'm so glad that you swung open the door. And he goes, I swung open the door so that you would go outside. Because you are freer than you think you are. You see, God wants to break your shackles. He wants to set you free. And I can guarantee you this, if you follow him, and if you trust him, you will experience more freedom than you could ever imagine. And he will put a new song in your mouth, a song of praise to our God. I can guarantee it. So he says, these weapons we fight with, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Well, here we learn what a stronghold is. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Now look, the scripture says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. How many of you are thinking right now? Show of hands. If you didn't put your hand up, you're in denial. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But we are always persistently thinking. And today we're going to talk about established patterns of thinking that run contrary to God and his truth. That's what a stronghold is. And look, it says, and we, we're ready to punish every act of obedience once your obedience is complete. Now, most people, when they read scripture, they stop at places like that and they go, what the heck does that mean? Or they pass over and said, can I find something a little bit easier to read, please? Because I don't know about you, sometimes I read the word of God and I get a little confused, amen? So Paul's saying, and we stand ready to punish every act of disobedience and obedience is complete. Now, let's, first of all, everything that God says is love. Say that after me. 
everything that God says is love. Now, how many of you know that sometimes love has to be tough? Sometimes loving people means doing things they do not like. Amen? Amen. Right? And so how many of you have been loved that way? (laughs) If you have a relationship with God, you have been loved that way. Because God sometimes has to be tough. But he's always love. He's always love. And Paul was entrusted as an under-shepherd to care for the sheep, just like I am, just like Ben is, just like Alan is, just like Mark is, just like Chris is. We're all entrusted with shepherding. And guess what shepherds do? They watch for wolves. And can I tell you something? Any single one of us can become a wolf if we stray from God and his truth. So what does this mean? This means that we wouldn't enact punishment or discipline. It's called church discipline in the way that the world does. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't harden our heart towards people. But can I tell you something? What the church needs to do in certain circumstances is exercise discipline and tell people things like this. You cannot continue to do that and remain in ministry. You cannot keep that attitude and stay in ministry here. Let me give you some examples. Now, we've done this over the years. We've been doing this 11 years here. And there are times where we have had to remove people from ministry at Grace Fellowship Church. They're few and far between, praise the Lord. But we've had to do that. And can I tell you, if somebody came to us in leadership and they said, I believe that abortion is okay, the first thing we'd say is, come sit down with us and talk to us some more. We'd say, we want to listen. And after listening, we would try and reason with them according to the scripture. And we try and say, listen, let us help you understand. We understand the heart of a woman who's in that situation. We understand all this. But we also understand the scripture says that it is murder. Do you agree with that? And if they were to say no, then we'd say, we have an issue. If they were unrepentant in their attitude, this is what we'd say to them. You can no longer serve in a ministry at Grace Fellowship Church. Because now your belief system is becoming incompatible with what we believe to be the Holy Word of God. If somebody was preaching here that you should follow the Mormon faith or follow some other kind of cultish type thing, we would remove them from ministry because that is the right thing to do to protect the sheep. Anybody say amen to that? So love sometimes is tough. You know what else we won't allow to have happen around here? Resentment. We signed a Peacemakers Pledge here years ago. We put it before the staff almost every year. We just signed it as a staff. And guess what? In a few weeks, all of you are going to have the opportunity to sign it again. And what it is is a commitment to live life biblically. The scripture says we are to forgive each other the way the Lord forgave us. So all of us get hurt and all of us get angry. And it's okay to be hurt. It's okay to feel anger. But what are you going to do with those things? So a lot of times we'll have a director here. They'll go to someone and they'll see that they're causing some trouble and we'll go hey it looks like there's a resentment there it looks like you got some bitterness there and they're like yeah i'm angry at so-and-so because they did this okay what are you going to do with that well i'm not sure well let me tell you what i think you need to do you need to pray about it and you need to go and you need to talk to that person and you need to get reconciled now can i tell you some people refuse to do that and if you're here in ministry at grace fellowship church you cannot hold on to a resentment and stay in your seat you know why that is cancer And the scripture says this, Jesus prayed a prayer, Father, make them one. May they be brought to complete unity so that the world will know. The testimony that we have is the love that we have for each other. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples and that you carry a big Bible. (laughs) Did he say that? Oh, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples in that you memorize tons of scripture. 
No, he didn't say that. By this all men will know that you are my disciples in that you love one another. So guess what? We've said to people in ministry here in the past, look, you seem bitter, you seem resentful, you keep spewing forth all kinds of bitterness and stuff, we love you, but we're not going to let you stay in your seat. And so church discipline enacted is for the purpose of allowing that person to speak more closely to God, to get some counsel, and to be restored. Now look, I'm not going to say anything about the Catholic Church up here because I know Catholic people who go to Catholic Church who love Jesus Christ. But all I'm saying is that if there are people who profess Jesus Christ and they are decision makers, amazing decisions to kill babies at full term, they are not walking in the faith of Jesus Christ. They are not. And I know that can be a very unpopular thing to say. I don't care. You know why? I don't want to be popular. I just want to love Jesus. The question is, do you? You see, we're called to be an army that goes out and breaks down strongholds, demolishes them for the kingdom of God. But if we're believing them ourselves, it's hard to do. You see, we need to be walking in freedom. So Paul goes on. You're judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. That's called the comparison lie, by the way. And comparison always kills community. Say that. Comparison always kills community. How many of you have a tendency to compare yourself to other people? I do. You can compare up or you can compare down. Let me show you what comparing up is. Oh, they have such good gifts. Dag. I wish you had a better testimony like that guy. God, why couldn't you make me a crack addict, you know? <laughs> His testimony is great. My testimony is horrible. You know, we kind of compare up and go, that person has such a great job. Look at the money they make. Look at the wife they have. Look at the children they have. Their life is perfect. Can I tell you a little secret? Never compare your insides to other people's outsides. Never. You know why? I've sat with them all. I've been doing this for 25 plus years, okay? I've sat with doctors, lawyers, bottle washers, and Indian chiefs. And can I tell you something? We're all broken. We all struggle. And we don't all struggle in the same ways at all at the same time. But none of us are perfect. And when you compare your insides to somebody's outsides, you have a tendency now to start looking down on yourself and you start blaspheming the work of Jesus Christ. For you are a work of Jesus Christ. You're his child. And he loves you. And you're precious. And you're holy. And you're righteous. And God, he don't make no junk. Say that. He don't make no junk. So you ain't no junk. I know I'm talking like a Tennessee guy now, right? So here's the one. Compare up or you can compare down. And comparing down is the opposite. You're like an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, by the way, right? So... We walk around at one point, we're feeling inferior. The next time, we're feeling superior. I can't believe those people. I can't believe they did that. Oh my gosh, I would never do that. Can I encourage you to never say you would never do something? You know why? Because the minute you say that, God goes, really? Really, Jeff? Apart from my grace, where would you be? Can I tell you the number of times in my past where I've looked at people and I said, I can't believe that they would do that. And then I find myself doing the very same thing the next week. 
Why? Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The only fair comparison is where you are, were to where you are now. And if you've made progress, give thanks to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul goes on, you're judging by appearances, everyone confident, he said, belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast freely about the authority the Lord has given us for building you up rather than you tearing you down, I won't be ashamed of it. Paul's not going to buy into toxic shame from toxic people. He knows who he is. He said, I do not want to seem like I'm trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Can you believe people said that about the apostle Paul? They said, oh, when he writes, he's great, but he's very unimpressive. It doesn't amount to anything. Well, they don't really know that over 2,000 years later, we'd be sitting here reading his words. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> Some people should realize that we are in our letters when we are absent. We'll be in our actions when we're present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits. Listen, but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. Circle the word sphere. That word is the word metron in Greek. And what it means is a sphere of spiritual influence that every single one of God's children has been given. You've got to listen up. Every single one of you in Christ Jesus has been given a sphere of influence. How many of you, of you know at least one person? <laughs> how many of you have a family? Okay, how many of you are married? How many of you have a workplace? Okay, I just listed a bunch of metrons. When you walk into a room, the demons shudder. It's not you, it's Jesus Christ in you. You just don't know it. Because you carry the authority of the Christ. You have been given the keys of the kingdom. So when you walk into a room, when you walk into a community, when you walk into an environment, the Spirit of God is on you. You are anointed and appointed to rule and reign with God in your metron. This, the, the, the problem is we don't know we've been given this authority. Now, Paul is saying, look, we're not going to boast beyond our sphere of service, but let's go on. We are not going to go too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of the work done by others. He's saying that other people have other metrons. You see, but our metron includes you, church at Corinth. Our hope is that as our faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will expand greatly so we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. Every single one of us should be praying that God would increase our sphere of influence as long as we're influencing it for the kingdom of God. If you're not influencing your current metron for the kingdom of God, you need to run back to Jesus Christ. You need to get straight with him and you need then to allow God to kind of show you how to rule and reign with him in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. Teachers, I want to talk to you. Thank you if you're here today and you're a teacher. By the grace of God, God has appointed you to go forth and bear fruit in a very, very difficult situation. Does anybody agree that our educational system needs God again? Does anybody disagree that the enemy is trying to bar and put strongholds in place that keep God from being in our schools? 
Teacher, I want to tell you something. You've been given a sphere of influence, a metron, where you are to rule and reign with Christ. And all you need is one prayer partner and the Spirit of God in you. And you can change that system for the glory of God. Some of you are going, but, I can't, I'm not, no. No, God doesn't allow room for that. Because here's the truth. So many of us ascribe to the, the, the principles of this world by saying, well, I won't speak the name of Jesus here. Why? Oh, I'm not allowed to. Do you think God allows for you to not speak the name of Jesus Christ because you're not allowed to? No, no, God calls you to be bold. Now, he calls you to be wise. I'm not calling you to to be out and proselytizing and hitting all your students on the head with Bibles. I'm not calling you to go into your workplace and be giving everybody a crucifix. I'm not, you know, some people do that, and I'm like, you got a problem, slow down. But what I am saying is, don't hesitate to say things like, God bless you. Don't hesitate to tell somebody who asks, hey, Jesus is my best friend. You know what? Well, Jeff, it might offend some people. I don't care. He said if they're gonna, they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. And so I just want you to know, whatever spheres or metrons you have, God is calling you to rule and reign with him and break down strongholds. We'll get more into that during this series, okay? He said our hope is that as our faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity, our metron, will greatly expand so we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Circle that, underline that, highlight that, tattoo that on your thigh. For boasting in the scripture is absolutely a biblical principle. But we boast in Christ Jesus. So when he says something to you, they say, my, you have pretty eyes. Go ahead and say that. My, you have pretty eyes. What's your response? Thank you, God gave them to me. He's amazing. Wow, you do that incredibly well. Only by the grace of God, but thank you. I received that, thank you. But I do that by the grace of God. He's my Lord, it goes to him. All glory to him, all honor to him, all praise to him. And people go, ah, whatever. You just keep trusting him. Just keep lifting him up. That's right. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. Okay, let's take a look at a few points. If I can find my clicker, we'll do just that. And I've got to find my notes too, so bear with me here for a second. Okay, here we go. So, let's talk first about what a metron is. So a metron has been described in this scripture here, and a metron is an established pattern of thinking that runs contrary to God's truth, right? Now, a stronghold, I'm sorry, did I say a metron? What I meant was a stronghold. A stronghold is established patterns of thinking that run contrary to God's truth, and that's the way it's presented in 2 Corinthians 10. But you have to understand something else. The scripture says that God is our stronghold. We'll talk about that. Uh, An established pattern of thinking, the word actually stronghold means a fortress, And it's like an impenetrable wall built around something. So we can say God is our stronghold, and we mean that God surrounds us. He is the one who protects us against evil. He is the one who keeps from deception from getting in. But here's the truth. We all have established patterns of thinking that keep us from understanding the depth of God's love. I'm going to say that again. You and I, all of us, have established patterns of thinking that keep us from understanding the depth of God's love. Now, everybody has thoughts all the time. I'm not talking about the weird, random thought. How many people have weird, random thoughts? Oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, isn't that funny? 
you're just sitting there, or you have a, you wake up in the morning, and you're like, oh, how the heck did that come into my mind? Anybody want those forecasts up here for everybody to see? So that's just one indication of our depravity. I'm not talking about a fleeting thought that comes through your mind. I'm talking about an established pattern of thinking that has built a fortress around your heart, and it does not allow the love of God to get through. For the love of God is the answer to every question you would ever have. For the love of God is the most powerful force in the entire universe, and Jesus Christ loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And if you allow his love to come to you, it will transform you from the inside out. Now, every single one of us is on a journey, and we've allowed that love to come to us to a certain extent, but none of us have experienced the fullness of God's love, for if we did, surely we would cease to exist here. We would be with him forever in heaven. And I cannot wait till one day when I jump out of this earth suit and I am in his presence forever. Anybody with me on that? That that day, boy, the darker the world comes, don't you just long for that? Jesus, come back now. And he's like, not yet. I need to save more. I need more to know my love. But when he comes back, it's gonna be done, folks. So part of what we need to do is trust God to help us identify our strongholds, these established patterns of thinking, okay, that stand contrary to God's word, his truth, his light, and his life in our, in our lives. So what happens when we establish a godly stronghold? A godly stronghold means that we've allowed truth now, God and his truth, to surround us in such a way that we smell out deception very quickly. You see, we now have been attuned to the Spirit and to the Word of God, and we have the Word of God written on our hearts. And so we hear somebody say something a little off, we go, hey, that smells bad. And then we go to our buddy, hey, Jim, what do you think about that? And Jim knows the Lord, too, and he goes, yeah, it smells bad to me, too. And then we reject that in the name of Jesus Christ because it's not in the Word. You see, we go to the Word, we go to the Spirit, and we go to the people of God. And we test the spirits, the Scripture says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, the scripture says. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. So when we have a godly stronghold around us, we see God who is the one who is actually our protector and our provider, the one who keeps us from stronghold thinkings. Now, strongholds can be both individual and systemic. A lot of people asked this week as we looked at this horrible thing that came out of New York. Um, I've talked to people who've lost sleep over it. They just can't, can't believe that this decision has been passed down to abort babies up until birth. You know, it just makes you want to cry, right? And we, we ought to cry, because God weeps. It's horrible. And they say, how can something like this happen? Can I tell you how it can happen? Strongholds. Established patterns of thinking that go against God and his truth that have taken root, and they have become systemic. Now look, if you don't know anything about abortion or Planned Parenthood, you probably need to look at the person of Margaret Sanger. You need to go back and kind of do a little research and take a look at who she was. She was a person who God loved. But she was a really wounded person. We're going to talk about that in a second. And unfortunately, she developed a philosophy of eugenics where she wanted to wipe out the impoverished masses. She was a racist. And abortion, she is the matriarch of abortion. And so... A stronghold was developed in Margaret. I I, I haven't talked to Margaret because she's not around anymore, but I know there was a stronghold established in her. Why? Because I can read her writing and I can go, oh my gosh, that smells really bad. That's not God at all. 
But Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry look up to Margaret as their matriarch. You know why? Because they established a systemic stronghold through her thinking, and that systemic thinking has now taken root in the hearts and minds of so many people. And as a result of it now, they go, oh, it's not really a baby. Let me tell you something. Even if you are in Christ, if you do not practice the presence of God and spend time regularly in his word, you are open to culture creep. And culture creep is this. You start laying down your defenses, you start listening to other people, and they kind of make these arguments like, well, you know, don't you want to be kind to people? I mean, why would you want to say that what she did was wrong? Come on, just give it up. It's not really wrong. It's not really a baby. It's just a tissue. It's just, it's just a mass of cells. And then you may begin to believe exactly the same thing. And then you may be able to begin to start communicating that to other people. And woe to you when you do. Better for you to have a millstone thrown around your neck and be thrown into a river than to harm one of these little ones. You see, this is how systemic thinking happens. It creeps in over time. And each one of us have a metron that God has called and ruled us to rule and reign in with him. So here's what I first want you to do. I first want you to look at your relationships. When we start this series, I want you to look at your families. I want you to look at yourselves and say, what stronghold thinking do I have, God? What established patterns of thinking do I have in my life that run contrary to your will? But here's another thing. God, what strongholds does my family practice? Trace and I have been looking at this together, and I talked to her this morning and last night. She doesn't mind me saying this, but we, we've identified a stronghold of perfectionism in our family. It's not rampant, but it's there. And we laugh a lot together, so don't get the wrong impression. We're not going around needling each other all the time. But we've identified that there's some peck perfectionism that is keeping us from the fullness of what Christ wants for us, right, hon? And guess what God is doing? He's breaking our hearts over that. And guess what he's doing when he breaks our heart? He's breaking the stronghold. If you're a perfectionist, that is not a virtue. You know, a lot of people say this. They'll kind of go, you're like, oh, you work tirelessly. Well, I'm kind of a perfectionist, you know. And what they're really saying is, look at me. This is great. This is a virtue. I'm a perfectionist. No, it's not. It's a cancer. Excellence is a virtue. Perfectionism is deadly. See, a lot of times we kind of make up reasons to protect our strongholds. That's stronghold thinking in and of itself. But it can be either individual or systemic, and God would call you to look at your family system and ask the question, where might we be buying into strongholds together? What established pattern of thinking do we embrace that doesn't allow for the fullness of the kingdom of God in our midst? That's what God calls us to want to look at. Now look, I want to give you the sure sign of a stronghold. There's many signs of strongholds, but here's one. It's the inability or unwillingness to self-examine. If you go to a church and you make a suggestion and they get defensive right away, that's a stronghold. If you go to your parents and you say to them, hey, I think we might be doing this wrong, or hey, mom, I wonder if maybe you could do that better, and they go, who are you to tell me that? That's a stronghold. Because strongholds are self-protecting. You see, God is to be our protector. God is our, to be our defender. But when you have strongholds, you become self-defensive, self-righteous, self-justifying, self-protective. These are the root of strongholds. And God calls us to be those people who are humble 
and willing to self-examine. Look at Lamentations 3.40. Jeremiah says, let us examine our ways and test them. You know what? You look a little sleepy today. Go ahead and read that out loud with me, please. Let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return to the Lord. What's the inference? Jeremiah's inference is, we've walked away from the Lord. He said, let us look at what we're doing. Let us look inside. The true sign of someone who's embraced the grace of Jesus Christ is that they can say they're wrong. Because you know what? We realize we've been accepted by the God who created the entire universe. I don't need to let my performance now dictate my acceptance. God loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. So I can say I'm wrong. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. What can I do to make it right? You see, those are the cries of a humble heart. And I'm not telling you to own stuff that's not yours. But what I am telling you is if you're not willing to own things, if you're not willing to own your own sinfulness, you are buying into a stronghold. And if you are going to allow God to break down strongholds in your life, guess what? Your flesh is going to hate it. Your flesh is going to scream. Your flesh is going to say, don't let him do it. He'll kill you too. And guess what? He wants to kill your old person so your new person can live. We think the Christian life is like about God coming and grooming us a little bit. C.S. Lewis said, it's not about you coming, cutting a branch off here and a branch up there. He wants the whole tree down. Most of us don't want to hear that. We want to stay in milk. We don't want to go to meat. You know, milk says, oh, God loves you, God loves you, and God loves you. But meat says, God loves you, and love is tough. And when love comes after you, it will prune you. And he will point out things in you you do not want to see about yourself. I asked my daughter if I could share this story. I think I asked my wife too. Did I? <laughs> about KK coming to us and talking to it in the garage when we were doing the bill. Yeah, it's okay. So, Trace and I have a wonderful marriage. We say to folks we wouldn't trade it for anybody else's dysfunctional marriage out there, but it is dysfunctional. And it's beautiful, right? We just came back from West Virginia and Ohio and Pennsylvania. I had a great time with my aunts. We lived with my Aunt Betty, my Aunt um, Mim, and my Aunt Kate. Aunt Mim is 86, Aunt Kate's 93, and Aunt Betty's going to be 101 here uh, next couple of days. We had a blast. We laughed a lot. Oh, my gosh, on the way back, Tracy, <laughs> she was on the last leg of the journey, and she's driving home, and she said, I, I thought I heard her say, all I need is some Jesus to get me the rest of the way, and I started praying right away, and I said, Lord Jesus, please get my wife the rest of the way to the home, and once I finished praying, she said, I didn't say Jesus, I said Cheez-Its, get me some Cheez-Its. And we just burst out laughing. And I said, oh, you were praying to Lord Jesus. And I was praying to Lord Jesus. And uh, we couldn't stop laughing. We laughed for like an hour until we almost peed ourselves, right? And so like, like, Tracy's my best friend. Other than Jesus, she's my best friend. And guess what? You blow it. So we were working on a project. My daughter was out there with us and there was a little tension between Tracy and I. I didn't even realize there was tension between us. We don't blow up a lot at each other. But um, there was this tension, and Michaela comes up, and she goes, I can't stand your bickering. It makes me so anxious. I said, bickering? She said, you two are bickering. Now, of course, my little defense attorney inside came right to the front. I wanted to say, we are not bickering. And I wanted to say that in a very bickering tone. You know what I mean? 
It's like the person that says, I'm not angry. And you go, woo, okay. That's called denial. And denial is a stronghold. Someone who is in denial is believing something that runs contrary to the truth of God. And that person is unwilling or unable to self-examine. So when Michaela brought this to she said, your bickering makes me so anxious and inside my flesh goes, don't, don't look at yourself. But Jesus, he's greater. He said, Jeff, be still. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask me, Jeff, what's going on. So I did. I, I stood for a moment and I looked at myself and I went, oh, crud. I'm bickering. I hate that. And I looked at my daughter and I realized that our bickering made her anxious. I hated that. And I said to Michaela, I said, I'm so sorry. We are bickering. And I hate that when we do that. I brought it up to her in preparation for this message and I asked her, I said, can you please forgive me for the times that I've bickered around you? And she threw her arms around me. Gosh, you don't like, you can't pay for moments like that. You see, God wants you to walk in humility. And he wants you to own your faults. And he wants you to confess your sins and pray with others so that you might be healed. But if you think you have it all together, if you're too busy taking everybody else's inventory, you cannot see your strongholds. You cannot. And if you go back and read Genesis and look right back there in the garden after they were busted in their sinfulness, what's the first thing they did? They self-defended it and blamed each other and blamed God. Remember? He goes, what is this you have done? And Adam goes, the woman that you gave me, she gave it to me. He's like, it's, your, it's her fault and your fault, God. You gave her to me, and she's the one who gave her me the apple. And then he goes to her, and he goes, what have you done? And she goes, well, the devil made me do it. There's no personal responsibility. If you want to break your strongholds, God's going to give you a spirit of humility. He's going to give you his own heart. He's going to allow you to self-examine and go in light of that and say things like, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you wept over your own sin? If you want strongholds to be broken, you need to trust the Lord to take his hand and walk you into the dark places in your own life and poke around and find the squishy things that nobody wants to talk about. And you need to allow God to grab a hold of that squishy thing and grab a hold of your hand and pull it out into the light and say, you've got to let me heal that. You see, because if you don't, it will continue to run you. It will continue to wreck your relationships. It will continue to wreck your soul. God says, no, I, I created you for freedom. You're not called to live that way. Look at David. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You can circle that. That's a stronghold. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You want a prayer you can start praying this week? Start praying that one. It's a simple prayer. Nobody wants to pray that prayer in the flesh. The flesh doesn't want that prayer. The flesh just says, no, don't look at yourself. Just blame everybody else. You don't have to do that anymore. You know, God died for you. He came flesh and he died for you so you could lay down all that pretentiousness, all that self-defensiveness. He says, I love you, I love you, I love you. It will never be taken away. I accept you 100% no matter what you do say. Now you're free. Now you're free to own your faults. The gospel allows you to be humble. 
So God calls us to take inventory, to look at ourselves, and strongholds often originate in an area of woundedness. So listen to this scripture, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is in Isaiah, but Jesus quotes it, you know, when he's in the temple, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. How many of you ever had your heart broken? I'm not talking about it in a romantic way. How many of you have ever been wounded? If you're alive and breathing, raise your hand. I see some of you going, I am not wounded. Yes, you are. That's why you're not raising your hand. How many of you have been wounded? Every single person on planet Earth has been wounded. And when you are most vulnerable, the enemy knows how to attack you. What happens is you start developing a strategic thinking to protect yourself when you're wounded. And then that that, that self-protective thinking becomes established. It takes root. And then what happens is those roots grow strong and then trees and barriers and fruit that's rotten starts coming out of these self-protective strategies. Now, I'm not, I'm not diminishing your pain. Some of us have been deeply, deeply wounded and God is your stronghold and he loves you. And yet in your flesh and in your sinfulness, you have formed thinking that has been wrapped around you now, that keeps you from receiving the love of God. That's why you're still defensive. That's why you still justify. That's why you still take everybody else's inventory, because you are trying to protect yourself. But God is your protector. God is your righteousness. God is your justifier, and he wants to bind up your broken heart. What does it mean to bind? We're going to talk about that in the series, Binding and Loosing. One aspect of binding is wrapping a bandage around a wound. You bind it up. Now, when you bind up a wound, you bind it up so it can be healed, so something can be loosed. This is what Jesus says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, so that whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What are you saying? He's saying, if you act in accordance with my love for you. And if you minister to others the way that I do, your wounds and other people's wounds will be bound up by me and they will be healed and now you will be loosed to new life. Let me tell you something. If you have a stronghold of resentment in your life, you know what you're being robbed of? Joy. If you have a stronghold of fear in your life, you know what you're being robbed of? Peace. So if you allow Jesus to bind up that wound of fearfulness, you know what you're gonna have? You're gonna be loosed unto peace. If you allow Jesus to bind up that wound that somehow produces your resentment and your bitterness, you are going to be loosed to joy. And I've been there. I've been there in my own life, and I've been around people who get loosed. Right, Trace? We have. And guess what? They get scared. Why? They go, I've never felt so much joy in my life. (laughs) And they get scared, and you're like, that's Jesus. He sets the captives free. He does. The question is, will you trust him in such a way that you will allow him to set you free? This is very important. God doesn't want us to stop at believing. He wants us to know him. Now look, you got to understand, a lot of people say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Belief is a pretty good word, but it's weaker than no. You can say, I believe in Jesus. That means this. I actually give intellectual assent to the fact that Jesus is Lord and he died on a cross for me. That's pretty good. If you say, no, no, I don't just believe. I know Jesus. Well, what do you mean you know him? I'm intimate with him. Like I know him. I know him by experience. Look, folks, I've been in the scripture the last two weeks, and God has unlocked things to me that I have not seen before. So I memorized a scripture before in Colossians years and years ago, uh, or Ephesians, I think it was. It doesn't really matter. It's in the Bible, so you can look it up. But it goes like this. 
It goes, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whose whole family derives his heaven. I pray that his glory is rich, he may strengthen me through the spirit, through inner being. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's people to know this love. Now, how, how wide, how deep, and how long, and how high is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you would be filled to all the fullness of the measure of God. I never looked at that scripture in the Greek. And so what it says is the word know, to know this love, is different than the word knowledge. Guess what? It says this. To know this love means to know the love by experience that surpasses your doctrine. Two different words. So God says this. I don't want you just to think about me in your head. I just want you to memorize facts about me in your head. I want you to know me. I want you to know me by experience. I want you to know me that I'm so close that you can feel my breath on your back. That's what God wants. How many of you want that? All right, so I'm going to tell you briefly how you can get it. You don't have to wait until we get to week three in the series to start trusting Jesus. Start today. Jeremiah 6.16 is the roadmap that God has given us for this next six weeks. And I'm going to say it to you, and then I'm going to talk to you quick. It says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, can you read that with me, please? This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this next little part, I hate This is where the nation of Israel, the people of God at that time, which were the same as the people of God at this time, they responded, but you said, we will not walk in it. Can I tell you something? In our culture, most people aren't even standing. Standing means to be still and attentive. Notice it said, do not lie down at the crossroads. It didn't say, get your lazy boy recliner out and a hamburger and turn on the TV and sit at the crossroads. A lot of people, when they think that God says, wait on the Lord, they go, okay, I'm just going to take some time off. Doesn't mean that. Standing is a position of quietness, but attentiveness. You need to be still, and you need to listen. And I can guarantee you this. If I were to stop right now and give you three minutes of complete silence, that would probably be more silence than most of you have had all week. That's a travesty. We need to stand at the crossroads and look. We need to ask God for the ancient paths. We need to ask him where the good way is, and then we need to walk in it. You know why? Because when you walk in it, that's when the stronghold is broken. When you walk according to the faith that you have in God, when you walk this out, when you walk with Jesus as your best friend, that's when the stronghold will be broken because then you will know God by experience. God will call you to take huge risks for his glory and for your freedom. And your flesh will scream, no, don't do it. Don't own that sin. Don't walk according to me. Don't speak the truth. But angels will be hovering over you. And the moment you walk in the truth of God, the chains will be shattered and they will fall to the ground. And angels will heaven will rejoice. Why? Because when one sinner repents, the whole heavenly host rejoices. The question is, do you want to be that person? You see, during this series, I'm going to be challenging you every week to walk. And today, I want to ask you to come forward, if you're willing, 
to throw off just believing for knowing. I want to ask you today to be willing to come forward if you're willing to walk with Jesus in the ways of God. Not just stand, not just look, not just ask, but if you're willing to actually take action and be a representative for the kingdom of God. I want you to come forward now. I want you to stand up here and I want you to worship God with all that you have. For when you do walk, when you do walk with God, he puts a new song in your mouth. You see, what happens is you experience him, you know his presence, and then you go, oh God, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you are doing in my marriage, in my life, in my family, in my workplace, in the school I teach in, wherever it might be. Lord, I thank you that you are changing me, that you are using me, and that you let me know that you love me. Lord God, we come before you now and we ask that as we stand before you today, that you would help us to leave this place, to stand at the crossroads and look, to ask you for the ancient path, to ask you where the good way is. And Lord, that you would help us to know that you have given us your divine power to demolish strongholds and to walk in it. Help us to walk this day, Lord God. To walk with you, to talk with you, and to trust you as our Lord. We pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, let's worship together.
defeated the king. Oh, I'm gonna sing, come on, in the middle of the storm. Father, we raise a song of victory this morning. Lord, we thank you that we are overcomers in you because of you, Jesus. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to walk in it, God. Help us to walk in that freedom. Help us to cling to the truth of your word. Help us to know your love not just in our heads, Lord, but in our hearts. And fill us with a new song of praise. And when the enemy tries to come at us, I pray, God, that a song of hallelujah would just rise up in your people like never before. that we would allow our light to shine because the world needs to see it. We love you, Lord God. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, if you need prayer this morning or you would like someone to talk to, you know we have prayer partners here that would love to do that for you. They'll be here at the front of the stage. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday.